As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Show Thursday edition, points penalty season in full effect as Reading get ready for a docking. Meanwhile, Carabao Cup, Dopey Oldham dwarfed by Brentford 7, Dieng is QPR's penting. Plus, we look ahead to the weekend's action with Wickham and Rochdale amongst the sides hoping to forget midweek maulings at the hands of those nasty bigger boys. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Here we go again then, folks. Plenty for us to discuss after a newsworthy few days on and off the pitch. It's me, Matt. I'm joined by a presenter for whom last night, at least, the only way was Pot and Bowls Club. It's Michelle. Mm -hmm. Hi, Michelle. I'm back. Hello. (laughs) How was Pot and Bowls Club? Well, somewhere I've always wanted to visit and now I've fulfilled that dream. Um, But no, it was great. They were lovely. Very welcoming. And something I didn't ever expect to do is a Carabao Cup draw on a bowling green. but go with it <laughs> um sam parkin i feel like you might have tossed the old bowl in your time is that what they call it ball uh i haven't i played bull at a wedding the other day came from behind to to win yeah it was, oh, it was right. thrilling i think my competition uh, were further into the free booze than i was at that stage so I'm not <laughs> sure how much um gloating i should take from it uh, well, Carabao isn't booze, but it is an energy drink that sponsors the League Cup at the moment. And that gives me the opportunity to segue into a little bit of chat about the Carabao Cup midweek action. Lots of EFL sides involved. Not many of them won, though. Uh, Sam, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know what your standout moment's going to be. Oh, unbelievable. The good times are back. QPR beating Everton on, on penalties. But I can't remember who did the tweet. How strange to see penalty shootouts not only at QPR, but also at Fulham and Chelsea, the borough of Hammersmith and, and Fulham in celebration at such excitement in the early rounds of the, the Carabao Cup. So it wasn't a vintage round, but yeah, great to see QPR prospering in a cup competition because of the Vauxhall Motors defeat is still fresh in my memory. Good to see Charlie Austin back because I think he's looked a bit off colour, although he's had... Um, Obviously, uh, something going on in his private life, which has mean that he's missed um, a couple of games. So great to see him scoring and it looked like a brilliant night. And I was actually off on Tuesday. So part-time supporter and all that should have been there. Uh, Sunderland's a decent draw in the next round as well, isn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely. I saw the club tweet out yesterday afternoon, I think, uh, who do you want in the next round, guys? That type of vibe. And I was like, mm, clearly the lowest rank side at home. Yeah. <laughs> so we can actually do something maybe. So my dad doesn't have to continue going on about 1967 and Rodney Marsh, then third division QPR beating West Bromwich Albion, as we all know, at the... Uh, the uh, the old Wembley. So um, he was there in, I think he nearly missed my birth, actually, The story, as the story goes, the next time QPR got to, to Wembley uh, against Tottenham in the FA Cup final. So um, yeah, it'd be nice to go back there. <laughs> yeah, a couple of rounds to negotiate first. Um, yes. Michelle, having been at Stamford Bridge on Wednesday night, one thing that really stood out to me is how much fun it is that the ties just go straight to penalties. Because extra time, you kind of get the sense from the crowd of, oh, we've got to sit here for another half an hour. No one's going to score in this time. Then we'll just go to penalties. But there was a real kind of free son of excitement about the place of, oh, we're going to get a penalty shootout soon. This will be fun. And, and that was kind of the way it went with all the shootouts. I think we should do it in every cup competition, apart from inter- maybe apart from like the World Cup and the Euros. But FA Cup, they should implement it. Papa John's, do Papa John's go straight to pens? Actually, I'll have to check that. They but, do for uh, a bonus point, don't they? If the game, yeah, it's that bonus point thing in the in the group stage, isn't it? But yeah, it's far more fun, isn't it? Apart from when you're a Villa fan and they lose, but it, it's it's one of those competitions where the Premier League sides are still using a lot of youngsters, but I think a lot of them did themselves justice over the last couple of nights. Really enjoyed seeing some of the younger players for Villa as well. And penalty shootout is the drama, isn't it? And poor Jed Steer was getting pouters on uh, social media last night because he was diving really early, wasn't he? But I think he'd just done his homework and was proper committed to where he was going. But yeah, the Chelsea players were just waiting, unfortunately. But I thought the atmosphere at QPR, at the Kind Prince Foundation Stadium on... Tuesday night was amazing as well. And when I looked at like, oh, Man City, like the stadium was half empty. It was a bit a bit disappointing, but it we know how seriously they take the competition because they've won it four times in a row. So it was great to see some really great atmospheres considering, you know, last season there was no one watching the League Cup. It was fantastic to see uh, QPR bouncing after that penalty shootout. And just a few people, the, the weirdest pitch invasion ever, just... Four or five people thinking, we'll go on the pitch. Oh, no, we won't. Awkward. And then <laughs> reversing. So, yeah, well done to QPR. I think for me, that was probably the, the highlight of the round. And I think it's great. We've got Sunderland in, in round four, too. Hey, QPR are going all in on this uh, this cup run, aren't they? Albert Adoma was in the crowd after they beat Leighton Orient. And now we've got the punters <laughs> invading. So, so Some people may say they're getting a little bit carried away, but why not? <laughs> Um, on, on penalty, Sam, before we move up from, from the League Cup, I saw a lot of chat about who was taking the penalties. It, specifically, I'm thinking of the, the Fulham versus Leeds tie where Bobby De Cordova-Reed took a long time to for it to get round to him. Are you of an opinion that a striker should always be kind of first to put their hand up to take one? Not really, because when I've not been in the right frame of mind, I've kind of moonwalked away from the manager when he's having that little meeting. So depends how you're feeling. Um, and I think in this competition, it gives the managers or they have to have a degree of flexibility because they don't know really who's going to be on the pitch. Um, and it's who fancies it. And it's an opportunity for young players to come of age, if you like. And they probably wouldn't have that responsibility in a FA Cup game, maybe in the latter stages. So... Um, yeah, I think a lot of it is kind of just spontaneous. Um, it, it was in my experience anyway. We, we rarely, you know, unless it was getting towards the latter stages of a cup competition, very rarely would you practice penalties. So um, I think that was probably a product of that the last couple of nights. 
And what the fourth round ties that we played at the end of October, the ones involving EFL clubs, QPR against Sunderland, Preston against Liverpool and Stoke City versus Brentford. Uh, whilst we're looking at things that have happened this week, Derby County have officially entered administration and been given a 12-point deduction. That puts them on minus two at the foot of the table, nine points adrift of Peterborough with a possible further nine-point hit to come. Over on the Athletic Football Podcast, Mark Chapman and Matt Slater discussed what happens when clubs like Derby enter administration. Joining them this week is Paul Appleton, an administrator who's worked directly with professional football clubs in England who've gone into administration, including Bolton, Coventry and Pompey. Here's Paul explaining what's going on at Pride Park at the moment. I would imagine that what is being discussed at the moment is how the club is going to be funded. Because if you look at, so, so what the moratorium will do is it will mean that all of the creditors that the club actually has at the moment, so the revenue, any debts owed to the footballers, you know, anything, any money's owed to, to everyone, that's all put on hold and no one can take enforcement action. But what they're going to have is they're going to have a problem as to how they're going to fund the club when it goes into administration. Because there's only certain, there's only a certain amount of, um, of, of different areas where you can generate revenue. So I would imagine at the moment, there's probably very high level talks going on between the administrators and between the owner of Derby as to how the administration is going to be funded. Because the problem will be that there's not enough money being generated in the turn, uh, uh, through the turnstiles, through merchandise sales, through any, uh, through any uh, sponsorship deals. Uh, deals, any money's coming in from uh, from TV, sort of the, you know, as you know, you get parachute payments when you come down from the Premier League, but you also get solidarity payments every year. So that so that so the Premier League are funding the AFL to the tune of X amount. But the, the likelihood will be that whatever they are generating in terms of income will not be anywhere near enough to meet the ongoing liabilities of the club. So I would, as I said, I would suggest at the moment that what's happening is there are high level talks going on as to whether there can be any loans made into the administration to allow the club to trade. I mean, they're probably going to be looking at what they can do in terms of players because because the fact that the club's gone into administration in some of the players' contracts, they may be they may be automatically terminated by the fact that that's happened and the, and, and the players could walk away. You're sort of suggesting that a prospective owner could be looking at, at having to show that they've got 70, 80, 90 million pounds to be able to, to fund Derby if you look at what they've got to pay at the moment and then three years worth of funding. And that's a Derby that could very well drop into League One and, by the way, could go again depending on depending on points deductions or whether they have to just play kids next year or whatever. So you're saying to prospective owners, you might need 80, 90 million and you could be a League Two club. In two years' time. Completely. How do fan-owned groups manage to buy football clubs that go into administration? With great difficulty. With but great it has been done. Well, it was done by Portsmouth. And yeah. They were the first ones to do it. And, and that was that was amazing. And they've been pretty successful with it. Yeah. Well, Mark, you do not go into, into football to make money. If you look at the EFL today and you look at the 72 clubs in the EFL, if I was a betting man, which I'm not, I would imagine that at least 80 to 90% of all clubs in the EFL are insolvent. Paul Appleton on the state of the EFL there. You can hear the whole thing on the Athletic Football Podcast. You can read about it over on, you've guessed it, The Athletic. Uh, Sam, I feel like I've asked you this question a lot over the last few years about how the players will be feeling right now. I guess if it stays on on a 12-point deduction for this season, they'll be looking at it and thinking, actually... 
we can do this. Whereas if another nine come, you'll be having players ringing their agents saying, what clauses have I got in my contract? How can you get me out of here in January? Yeah, I think that's a good summary, really. Um, I'll, I'll try and keep it fresh as well, Matt, because I, I do feel that we've spoken about this often. My, my recollection of these periods in, in my career was being summoned to meetings, you know, the lads before training with people in suits and, and not understanding what on earth we were being told and being told it day after day after day. Uh, another meeting, a meeting about a meeting. And um, obviously we find the humour in any situation, I suppose, footballers. So I remember, you know, people taking the, 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 the mickey at the right time and going outside and we'd have a laugh about it ourselves because we just didn't really know what was going on, you know, apart from getting ready for matches and playing matches. But the, the, the bigger side of it, the financial thing's a different aspect because we know the players are, are covered, essentially. There may be a, a period where the PFA have to help the players out. The concern for the more experienced players was always the younger lads, the, the ones that didn't have much money, maybe just moved out of home. So taking care of them was always uh, a priority, I think, initially when this this struck at various clubs I was at. Um, but in terms of the f- football, because obviously the staff that are going to lose their jobs is catastrophic. The people that are owed money in the community... I remember seeing a list of the people at Luton that rode money. I'm talking about people that supplied the food on a match day, the, the person that f- supplied the flowers to the reception. You know, all that stuff is horrendous. So whenever it happens at football, you, your heart goes out to, to them. But in terms of the actual football, keeping the morale, if you suffer a few early defeats when you're chasing that deficit, I think that's the real test of the squad and the character. And that's the job that Wayne Rooney will have. Because when you quite soon require snookers and having to win every game, he has to alter his tactics as well. A result away from home, a 1-1, for example, a difficult place where you'd say, oh, that's a good point. It's no good anymore. You have to go and win three points. So the manager has to adjust his tactics accordingly and that can lead to heavy defeats and you become further adrift. So... It has a huge knock-on effect and keeping everyone united will be his biggest challenge because as you touched on, some people that could get moves will start thinking about that. Younger players who are at the uh, the infancy of their career will start thinking about are they going to get the progression they need in the next couple of seasons at Derby if they're in League One, for example. So keeping everyone on the same page and keeping everyone motivated is is going to be the key. And they've got free scoring Sheffield United on Saturday and then the docking derby against Reading in midweek. Um, Michelle, that line that, that we heard from Paul about 80 to 90% of clubs being insolvent is pretty bleak. But I just wonder if we're a bit complacent with it because even with Derby and the mess they're in and, and the massive amount of unravelling that needs to go on, you still feel like, well, somebody's going to buy them at some point. They're probably just waiting for the for the best possible price. And especially when you're talking about championship clubs, it's difficult to actually see any of them ever going out of business or am I being naive? But what do you buy Derby for? If they've got a debt, which is meant to be between 50 and 70 million pounds what do you buy them for like this is what I always struggle to get my head around I do find administration and debts quite complicated and I think a lot of people do like people talk about it with a lot of authority but you know just for your normal person like me and I'm working football there's a lot going on and it seems in fam- 
infathomable, big word, uh, to many people that their clubs could go bust or cease to exist. But that if, if Derby don't get bought, I think that is a possibility. And it's really sad to say that. So they are pinning everything now on being bought. But whoever buys it, now they're in administration. I think something happens, doesn't it, for every pound of debt you you get a certain amount back. It's quite complicated, the financial parts of it. This is why I never did anything in finance with A-levels or anything like that. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a re- realistic possibility. But I think the problem with Derby is they pinned all their hopes on that playoff final against Aston Villa. And they just thought, well, if we go up, we'll be fine. And because they didn't go up, I think for me, that's the simplest way of, of looking at it, is they put so much money, overspent, didn't go up, and now didn't adhere to financial fair play within the EFL, which is why they're in this situation. So yeah, they could they could unfortunately if if they don't get a buyer, and I'm not sure how it's an attractive proposition to take on fifty million pounds worth of debt at least. Like, but you know what? Who's going to do that? You got to be so rich to take that on. And this is where it comes into the fit and proper ownership tests and the loopholes there are. There's a lot of grey areas, and it's really complicated. There's some great if you have a little look around on the internet, there's some great pieces and there's a there's a good documentary as well that you can watch about how owners own football clubs. But sometimes it's not all it seems. So I think we should be a little bit worried for the future of a lot of football clubs because there's too many loopholes and they're hard to find how they're getting through these loopholes. So yeah, it is a worrying time, especially after what we heard just now but it seems infathomable there is that big word again that that this could happen but it's it's happening right now to derby fans and you know that 12 point deduction there could be another nine on top of that it's been reported that possibly there could be another nine that was being talked about even before they went into administration so there could be even more to come because of financial irregularities in their accounts so it's a really sorry situation but like you just referred to there i worry that they might not be the only club facing facing this yeah you feel like it's going to be a theme of the season unfortunately and we'll keep you right up to date with whatever happens with Derby next though more doom mongering (laughs) as we look ahead to the weekend's action America a nation that has given us Europeans more than any other air travel Google Cardi B but we've given them the greatest gift of all golf And we're not going to let them be better at it than us. It's the Ryder Cup. And to celebrate Paddy Power, have a special offer. If your selection goes three up at any stage, get paid out as a winner. Paddy Power. Applies to all pre-match singles on match result markets for four ball foursomes and single matches only. Max payout £1,000. T&C supply 18 plus begumbleaware.org. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Uh, right, we're going to start in the championship with Reading against Middlesbrough. Quite the week for the Royals as they prepare to welcome Borough to Berkshire on Saturday. On Wednesday, the Athletic reported that Reading are in talks with the EFL over a possible points deduction of their own for breaching financial regulations. Looks like they'll be docked 
between six and nine points. Uh, their most recent accounts show their pre-tax loss over a three-year period was ninety-three million pounds, with a wages-to-turnover ratio of a hundred and ninety-four percent in the twenty eighteen nineteen season. Uh, according to that piece in the Athletic, six points. The expected deduction. Um, Sam, I'll briefly ask you about this and then we'll talk about actual football. But if they get deducted six points, that's not terminal for them, is it? We spoke about them on Monday's pod being maybe mid-table fodder this season. Birmingham managed to avoid the drop with a nine-point deduction in, in 2019. You'd think that Reading would still be better than three other teams in the Championship, even with six points fewer than they've got now? Yeah, com- completely agree. Uh, I think now that... Uh, players are, are getting back fit. Uh, they've had a poor start to the season by their the standards they set last year, but I think it's a good squad. Um, it's a good championship squad. I think they've added in, intelligently during the last few days of the window, so I wouldn't have too many problems in uh, in predicting that they'd they comfortably overturn the six points to remain in the division. The nine uh, again, yeah, I think there's probably a lot of quality there that will. Um, see them be okay but not ideal for the for the ones that have you know the ones that are optimistic that they could emulate what they did last year and i guess what might happen you know if 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 they're told that they need to raise some funds i was looking at john swift's uh, contract details the other day and he's actually out of contract next summer and given the start to the season that that he's had they, they might have to listen to an offer for him in january potentially and that that would be a massive loss given the way that he's been playing yeah, hundred percent. He's he's been their talisman this this season and last really when he wasn't hindered by injury, which is obviously just held him back maybe the last year or two. So yeah, I think the the bottom line would be if they're if they're not challenging, if they're not in the shake up, then they'll, they'll have to let him go in January. Would, would be my guess. That would be the only reason for trying to keep hold of him if they could potentially get into the Premier League this year. But that sounds like a huge ask. I would say though, I'd, I just probably think they've got enough cover. Just about, you know, if they were to lose uh, a number of players from their defensive uh, ranks, I'd be more concerned. I think there's enough quality in in Reading's team going forward to supplement that that loss if he was to go. Not to say he wouldn't be a big miss. And what about Middlesbrough, Michelle? Only two wins all season. One of them doesn't count because it was against Forest. Uh, they start the the weekend closer to the relegation zone than they do to the playoffs. Am I being mean to ask if Neil Warnock can still cut it in the Championship? I think anyone who follows Neil Warnock would have expected Borough to be in and around the playoffs this season. And maybe if you looked at the table today, you'd be surprised. But I was chatting to Sol Bamber about it when he was um, on with us for, which game was that? A couple of weeks ago, we were at Forest. And I said, you know, what's going on? Like, I, I thought you'd, you know, be flirting with the playoffs this season. He, he said, you know, I think we will come good. but there's been a lot of new signings and when you look at all the transfers they've had in, there's been a few from foreign clubs as well. He said, look, they're still getting used to the league. They're still filling it out. They've had a few problems as well with, with fullbacks too and they've had a few injuries. So he said, with all of that combined, it's just meant it's not been that settled and they haven't quite found a way of playing together yet that's quite clicked. But he seemed quite confident that given time, the injuries, if they you know all being well, they come back fit. And the players settle in and adjust because he said it's a big adjustment playing in the championship. Then he thinks they'll come good. So I think it's far too early to to write them off yet. Um, I would never write off Neil Warnock. But yeah, they've had a really tough start to the season. If they can get a fully fit squad firing, then 
give give it time, put him on a run, and I think I'll be back up there. I really do because I don't know. He's just got a bit of magic about him, and it's all you need is three or four results at at this point as well, this early stage in the championship, and you're you're back in the top half. So still early days to be looking at the table, but if you were walking in today not knowing any context of what's been going on at Borough, you might be like, oh, is Neil Warnock, like you just said, is he is he not cutting it anymore? But yeah, I think I think given time they'll they'll come good. I don't know don't know if they'll make the playoffs this season, but I just feel like you can never say never when it's Neil Warnock. Seems fairly harmonious there as well. Certainly from the away supporters at the City Ground last week, they were chanting the name of both the manager and the chairman, which as a Forest supporter was something that I've never, ever heard before. And they've got a good record against Reading as well and beaten in the last nine meetings going all the way back to 2015. And now then, there's no place like home if you're Bristol City and home is somewhere that gives you absolutely no joy whatsoever. Uh, the Robins back at Ashton Gate this weekend as they welcome hot and cold Fulham. Bristol City unbeaten in four, Michelle. Only lost twice so far this season. And yet all we want to talk about is this 14 games without a, a win at home. It's crazy, isn't it? You know, I want to say that stretches maybe back to January or something. It's it does, Nigel yeah. Nigel Pearson, since he's been in charge, has never overseen a home win. Like It's incredible. And for me, ever since I've covered Bristol City, the first couple of seasons, not so much, but the last few seasons, they've had an issue at home. And I don't know what it is. I can't put my. I think we've had this conversation before last season. I can't put my finger on why, but what I would say is, away from home again, they're picking up, and some whispers I think amongst fans were starting to question Nigel Pearson after that bad start. But if you look at where they are now, they're ninth. They're on twelve points. You know, it's a pretty decent return for the start of the season, and going into this weekend against Fulham, like you said, they're quite unpredictable. So. I think their home form was summed up when they played Luton last Wednesday. And you're going into the 90th minute and it's 1-0 and it finishes one all. I remember a similar situation with Lee Johnson a few seasons ago where they were in the mire. They were really low down and they'd be in the lead to the 70th or 80th minute at home and then they'd just capitulate. So if they can do it on the road, why can't they do it at home? It's got to be a mental thing. I remember Nigel Pearson saying last season, you know, of course, it's something we'll we'll look into. Uh, if they were to beat Fulham at Ashton Gate, like that would be a massive psychological thing, you think. So it's, I think it's that old cliche, just keep the monkey off your back because it's gone on for so long now. Um, I haven't been to Ashton Gate yet this season, so I can't say what the atmosphere has been like, but it's incredible. But, you know, that win against QPR, that late win might give them confidence going into this one. But I think if you ask any Bristol City fan, you can't pinpoint the exact reason why they can't do it in BS3. It's just a terrible, terrible run. But it's not all doom and gloom because they are starting to pick up results. I think Nigel Pearson is starting to have an impact. He said he'd need a few transfer windows as well. So the squad isn't even where he wants it to be yet. So I think overall, given a couple of positive results recently, and they didn't lose at home last time. There's, There's plenty to be positive about. But I think... That home form will be critical if they want to challenge this season. Uh, Nigel Pearson, by the way, has appointed Curtis Fleming as his assistant manager this week. He had been working at the club since July. Uh, he announced that via Twitter and, as always, ended his tweet with cheers, Nigel, which um, I'm sure we all enjoy a lot. Uh, Sam Fulham, they've been a bit hot and cold, as I mentioned of late, but it, it tells you something about the depth of their squad that they were able to hold leads to a draw in midweek, having made 11 changes. Do, do you think that any of those players who, who played in the cup might come in here? I think 
Possibly in in the midfield positions, um, they've got a lot of, lot of quality there. I think Harrison Reed and and Josh Onamer have been excellent during periods of the last year, eighteen months. So I could see those two coming back in. I think the biggest talking point at the moment is probably the goalkeepers because if you remember Rodak having that outstanding period uh, during the end of their last promotion season, I think Gasaniga started okay, but. Rodak came in the other night and did particularly well. So I think that's a bit of a conundrum. But having gone and got Gazaniga, I would presume in the manager's mind, he's still the number one right now. Um, and I thought Mawson did really well, actually. I saw a bit of this game. I think Mawson, I don't know. I think he's probably a better defender than Tim Ream. But I think Tim Ream gives uh, Fulham that ability to come out with a ball and dictate proceedings from the goalkeeper and from the centre-half. So maybe um, maybe it's something that we'll have to keep an eye on because I think after Mawson suffered with, I think, loss of form, obviously went out on loan, had injury problems, that was a really positive display from him. So um, have to keep an eye on that one. But not, not too much to worry about from a Fulham perspective. I just think getting that front line firing, getting the formula right, having... Now, Miss Cavallio for a few games is probably um, what's going to kickstart them again. So I'll be interested to see the lineup at a place they should go and win. I mean, they're they're averaging the most shots in in the division, most on target. The XGs, the the, the top in the division against um, Bristol City, who who are well down in that front. But Bristol City, I've got a good record in this game. I noted that Fulham have only won one of the last eight, and I think I was there for it, and it was. Uh, Pearson and Kearney that got the goals. And I don't know where Pearson is these days. He's been everywhere, but uh, Kearney's certainly not available either. I don't know where Pearson is either. So we'll just move on swiftly and I will ask Abby to give us some odds on those games, courtesy of our friends at Paddy Power. Who are the favourites, Abby? Let's start at Reading and Middlesbrough. And there isn't really a clear favourite between these two sides. No one's odds on or anything like that. So it's a really tight game. Middlesbrough are the slight favourites. They're eight to five. Uh, Reading coming in at seven to four, draw 21 to 10. Scroll down to Bristol City versus Fulham. Bristol City obviously haven't won at Ashton Gate since January, as we've mentioned. They are not the favourites. They're in at seven to two and Fulham are eight to 11, draw 13 to five. So you're, you're backing Fulham in that one. Thanks. Right, League One next. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Because you're a listener of the Totally Football League show, you can get a third off an Athletic subscription right now. All you need to do is head to theathletic.com forward slash league show and you could read pieces from the likes of Ryan Conway, Nancy Frostick, Steve Maidley and many, many more writers. That's theathletic.com forward slash league show. And midweek results in League One. Plymouth missed the chance to go top of the table after Sean Raggett's injury time equaliser gave Pompey a point against the Pilgrims. Charlton remained in the relegation zone after they drew 1-1 at Gillingham. And Morecambe picked up their third league win of the season. They ran out 3-1 victors at Crewe. In terms of the weekend's games, the fixture that we've picked to focus on is MK Dons versus Wickham Wanderers at Stadium MK. Wickham swatted aside by Manchester City in the Cup, but they began well in the league, whilst the Dons go into this game just a point off top spot. Um, MK, undefeated since losing their first game under Liam Manning. He's, he's put some pressure on himself. Is, is promotion the aim now? Oh, I don't know about that. Um, I remember speaking to some of the staff at MK last year, and I think they, they hoped that they may make a run towards the, the playoffs if they'd have had a good second half to last season. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what the ambitions would be there. I'm sure, realistically, the chairman will think Liam Manning may need a little bit of time. That that said, the the way of playing looks to be really similar to that of Russell Martins. I mean, the numbers from that victory at Gillingham were just astonishing. Yeah, Gillingham had a player sent off in the in the first half, but... 730 passes, 84% possession, 923 touches, the most across the whole of the EFL last weekend. And I like that O'Reilly in midfield, had a, he had 141 touches. Uh, Gillingham's highest touch maker, if that's a, a phrase, was the goalkeeper with 34, which is unbelievable. But they've got real good, good squad, good players, and a number of forward options. Scott Twine is excelling again at the moment. I think Troy Parrott's a bit of an unsung hero. When I've seen him, he looks like a really good footballer. He's out of the, the Harry Kane mould, really. Not in terms of his his goal-getting as of yet, of course. But he's very intelligent, drops off, makes it difficult to be picked up. And of course, that gives it will give people like Issa and, and Waters um, the ability to go in behind him and make runs. So they're looking really good. I think... We say it often, this is going to be a clash of styles somewhat, even though I think Wickham are evolving maybe this season. But yeah, I still expect uh, it to be a little bit Beauty and the Beast, if that's not too unkind. It's a little bit unkind. Um, Wickham-wise then, Michelle, uh, no shame in getting thrashed by Man City. They made some changes as well, didn't they, Wickham? So you wouldn't expect many after effects from that. In the league, only beaten once all season, and, and that was by Sunderland. Sam says there's been a bit of an evolution. Have you, you noticed much different about the, the way they're playing this time round compared to the Championship? Um, a little. I mean, I was looking at their formations compared, and I know they were they tweaked things a few times last season, but playing more of a back four this season than a back three, so not using the wing backs as much. But, yeah, I don't think there's been a huge, huge transition in, in how they're playing, like, you know, it's not like day and night, is it? But yeah, maybe trying to pass it a little bit more if they look at the stats from their games, they're having more of the ball. But, you know, when they came out firing at the end of last season, maybe that was an indication to how they were going to take games this season. But they're still beating teams with less possession. You know, Charlton had more of the ball last weekend, but they're quite direct and they're getting lots of shots away. You know, they're making it count when they've got the ball. So... Yeah, they are developing their style of play um, to to League One. But if you look at all their games, they do have less possession a lot of the time. But they're not really bothered about that. You know, if they're winning games, 
the the game that I was looking at closely was the Sunderland one. They lost that three one, and they had equal possession in that. So you know, if they can win with less possession, why is he going to change it? It doesn't really matter, does it? And they're doing well, like like Sam said. So yeah, a real clash of the styles this weekend. But I just fancy them to nick one at some point. Excellent. All right, one more to go, and it's League Two. Midweek result in League Two. Harrogate took a point from their trip to Crawley. Archie Davis' own goal helping them to a 2-2 draw against a Crawley side who played the last 25 minutes with 10 men after Ashley Nadison was sent off. Uh, and in a little news line, that Jay Spearing red card for Tranmere on Saturday that we were lamenting has been overturned. So he is available to play this weekend. Uh, Rochdale and Oldham both got plenty in common. Just a 13-minute drive from one ground to the other. Both got gubbed in the cup in midweek. Both had slash have issues in the boardroom. Handy for narrative fans that they meet on Saturday. Rochdale at least in the game for a little while against Burnley. So like Wickham, that should be a, a pretty pretty easy one to shrug off, particularly given that they haven't lost in the league since August. Yeah, absolutely. League two against Premier League Burnley, even though Burnley haven't won in the Premier League this season. It's still a massive game, massive dwarf in, in the clubs and where they're at as well, if you think about the off-field stuff with Rochdale. And I think with everything going on at the club, you know, there'll be the fans will be fairly happy with where they're at. You know, good win uh, against Tranmere, draw with Rochdale. They're unbeaten in, in a few games now, if you include the EFL Cup second round too. It's going back to Forest Green, I think was the last time they lost, so they're on a pretty decent decent run at the moment. Um, and going into this one, should be full of confidence. And I think when I've seen a lot of fans be unhappy with what's happening in the boardroom and, and all of that. So if your side is delivering on the pitch like they are, and Sam said, you know, you hear things, I wouldn't know, but as a player, you get these meetings and you hear whispers of what's going on. I think that's credit to the players and, and the staff to go out and carry on getting results. So... The Burnley result, I don't think, will bother them in the slightest. And they'll be full of confidence going into this one against Oldham, who are smack bottom and just got thrashed 7-0 by Brentford. So, yeah, basically, Sam, everything that Michelle's just said about Rochdale is the exact opposite <laughs> for Oldham. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wouldn't be too concerned about the the 7-0. Um, would Even though the video that? printer has to spell it out? It's mean, <laughs> never a good thing. Um, con- considering... Everything that's going on, it probably would have been a welcome respite for the lads to get on the coach and come and experience a lovely stadium, different competition. I'm, I'm saying that half reluctantly because, of course, it, it hurts getting bashed. But let's think where Brentford are right now and where where Oldham are. Um, the, the, the bigger positive is that they got a clean sheet last time out. Uh, they've got a really good derby game to look forward to. They just need to recapture some of that free scoring free spirited performances of last season when they were really exciting I think they were maybe third top goal scorers or something in the division last year I'm not doing them disservice there but they're uh, the joint worst in front of goal at the moment um, averaging the third worst shots on target Bahambula looks to be getting back to his best I think he's got two in five um, and he's been well, he's supporting Hallam Hope in in attack, who I really enjoyed watching at Swindon. He's quite an intelligent forward, but he, he's not a proven goal scorer. So that's what they, they need to try and reignite in, in some of their forward players. Zach Durnley has got a good goal scoring record since he, he joined Oldham, I think, from Manchester United a year or two ago. So maybe he'll be reintroduced at, at some point. But But that's what they need to do to give them any kind of hope. 
excuse the pun, uh, moving forward. Yeah, I was going to say, it kind of passed me by that they do actually have hope. Um, Sam, for the bonus point, can you tell me who Hallam Hope plays his international football for? Oh, it's uh, a Caribbean island, is it not? It is, yeah. I need you to be more specific, though. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, it's the, it's something and something. So it's not Trinidad and Tobago, <laughs> but it's something and something. Is that good it's enough Kits for you? It's in St. Nevis. Uh, yes. No, no, it's Barbados. Yeah, it's Barbados. It? Wow. <laughs> it's not too hey, Not half a point, right? <laughs> no. Um, yeah, it's Barbados. Be nice to be in Barbados. Oh, wouldn't it? Oh, Just... yeah. I'll go on international duty there. That'd be lovely. Us, <laughs> Hallam Hope and Simon Cow. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Abby, let's have some odds, please, on the two games that we've spoken about from League One and League Two. We'll start in League One. I was a little surprised to see that um, MK were their heavy favourites, twenty-three to twenty. They are Wickham coming in at twenty-one to ten with the draw at five to two. As for League Two, it's not looking good for Oldham. They're four to one against Rochdale, who themselves are the heavy favourites, eight to thirteen, and the draw comes in at fourteen to five. If you fancied backing all the favourites in a fun little ACA that I've just created, that's 14 to 1. Excellent. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. Odds are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. T's and C's apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Uh, now then, before we go, after The Athletic revealed that Phil Foden has a dog called Carabao, uh, I wanted to know what competition slash football figure, past or present, are you naming your pet after? Uh, regular listeners will know I have a dog named Brian after Brian Clough. Um, I probably like uh, another one called Ensley, maybe. Sam, just because I think that sounds like quite a good name for a pet. Have you got any advance on Ensley? Hey, listen, I'm out of my depth here with you three. I'm talking about <laughs> producer Abby and I know you're both dog owners, aren't you? Um, I never had pets. I had a goldfish called uh, Wayne Faraday, who was a very quick QPR <laughs> winger uh, from Putney Fair and uh, suspiciously didn't last too long. We were on holiday and I think my dad f- uh, forgot to feed him or, or something. So RIP Wayne. Um <laughs> My girlfriend had uh, Paul Ince and Ryan Giggs Koya Carp, she told me this morning, because they were red and white, and she doesn't even like football. So I thought that was tremendous. <laughs> um, so I was going to... Do you know what? I have grown to like dogs, and my girlfriend's parents do house-sit a Labrador uh, called Mina, who my son's very fond of. So I could see myself having a Labrador, and I, I think they're quite, quite... They're magnificent animals, aren't they? But quite gentle i would say and quite graceful so it would, would have to be sir les wouldn't it after my hero yeah that was nailed on you again for that um michelle i've just been looking while sam was talking there for footballers called barney because i know that's the name of your dog so you named him after the uh porter down central defender did you that is exactly it how did you know wow <laughs> good research i think um the one I, we talked about it the last time I was on, the most ridiculous one is still Dave Challoner, isn't it? Jeff Stanning's yes. cat. And I've never been able to get past that. I don't know if I'd name my, my dog or cat after a footballer. I mean, Barney, I don't know why Barney's even Barney. Everyone was like, oh, is it after Barney the dinosaur? I was like, no, it's just a, just a nice name. But I think if we've got a cat as well called Poppy, so I think the cat would be named after a footballer next time. But... I don't know. I'm I'm a bit uninspired, to be honest. I'm trying to think of of who I would name a cat after. It just seems a little bit random. I totally get the fish, and the like. If if our little boy ever wants like a small animal, I'd be up for naming that after 
a footballer or something like that. But it's just like when you go into the vets and you see people calling their dogs Dave and things, it's just a little bit weird, isn't it? But I had a friend no, who their... says the owner of Brian, it's not weird at all. It's very sweet. Everybody loves it. It gets a you great sure? reaction in the vets. So when you're calling him, <laughs> Bri, Bri, come back. Got a treat yeah. here, Bri. It's just a bit weird. But no, I had a friend who named their, their rabbits Harry and Kane. So I can get the sort of, the if you can find a footballer, with two first names and you had two goldfish or two rabbits, I could get on board with that. I mean, if you've got a goldfish, you just call it Mark. Like Mark Fish, the old Charlton defender. Surely. <laughs> that's, uh, fair. that's quite good to be fair. <laughs> uh, Abby's suggesting Johnston might be a nice name for an animal, like like the now defunct or rebranded JPT. It's certainly better than Papa John's, I think. Um, it's high time we wrap this up. It's only going one way and that way is down. Um, that'll do for us for today. We'll be back on Monday with all the fallout from the weekend's action. Do join us then if you can. Until then, from Michelle, from Sam, from Abby and from me, many thanks for your company today. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an athletic media company production. The Athletic.